Before we start this episode of Conversations with Kenyatta, I'm excited to tell you about my new partnership with Audible. Listeners can go to www.audibletrial.com backslash Kenyatta to receive a free 30-day trial. Audible is a wonderful resource with audiobooks for every reader. It even has titles from authors that have been on my podcast, such as Dr. Dan Bouts' Democracy's Data and Gail Lukasik's White Like Her. And please note that this is an affiliate link. So I may receive a commission with no cost to you, just a fee trial with so many wonderful titles. And I love to read. But with that, here's this week's episode of Conversations with Kenyatta. Welcome to episode 18 of Conversations with Kenyatta. And today I'm joined by professional genealogist Frazine Taylor, and she specializes in African-American research in Alabama. So welcome, Frazine, to Conversations with Kenyatta. Um, I'm excited to have you here because I have a lot of questions for you today. So a lot of info for us to get through. You've done so much in genealogy, and I've admired you from afar. I've known about you for quite some time. So what really sparked your interest in genealogy? <laughs> to be honest, my job. Oh, Okay, to be very honest, because I uh, went to school, as you well read in my resume, to be a librarian, and I wanted to be a, a public librarian. I ended up in at Tuskegee working in the as an academic librarian, but didn't I liked that all right? But it was okay. And then I got recruited to the Alabama Department of Archives and History to work be a cataloger, which I hated, hated cataloging. But that was the only job that they gave me and it was close to my husband at the time and we were we were able to drive one car. So that's how I really sparked my uh my interest is that, you know, after get being a cataloger at Department of Archives and History for like a a year, the archives knew and I knew that I was not a cataloger. So they offered me the <laughs> reference. <laughs> they offered me to be a reference. And, and the one thing I was, I was uh, the, the, uh, the one thing that I was contemplating on and was emphasizing on was the fact that I hated to share books too. I didn't like cataloging. I hated to share books. So I went home and told my husband, I said, I don't think I'm going to take this job. He said, why? More money? More, you know, and I said, because I hate to share a book. He said, don't you have people working for you? I said, yeah. He said, well, let them share the books. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I got into the archive. But then getting there, and I said, my job, then getting there, I didn't know, I knew how to research and do things in in, in a public library, an academic library, but going into archive is a whole different uh, ball game of researching where mm-hmm. things are located. So I didn't know how to do that. But having that, that research experience and that library experience, I was able to uh, adapt. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I like that you were very honest, though, about what you like. You knew what you liked and what you didn't like. I think that's important because a lot of times people will stay in positions and jobs and say, well, I'm staying here because I need to, as opposed to actually something that, you know, they like. And so I appreciate you being being that honest with us about it. So one of the things, uh, the next question actually I have for you is around professional genealogy. You know, when did you decide to become a professional genealogist? Here again, my job. <laughs> and the reason I said it is because after, you know, really establishing the fact that I, that uh, family historians came to the archives and basically white 
historians, family historians, came to the archives, they already either have had instructions or they had workshops or they they had societies that they would belong to that mm-hmm. would help them, you know, locate the family histories. And they had they had backgrounds in finding information for their families. Well, a lot of them were professionals, and they would they would charge for to locate uh, information on the families. But I noticed what was was lacking was the African American, the black uh, patron, mm-hmm. and the difference between the white patron and the black patron is instructions. Uh, there were at the time we're talking 1986 now. There at the time there were no uh, instructions, manuals that could help blacks to research their if uh, family history. For example, a one a, a patron would come in and said, "I'm looking for something on my family," and not having a lot of black staff members at the time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, would, I would do what I needed to do to get them started, you know, just start with the basics, you know, write down your name, you know, you, you know, the basics we go through. Uh, mm-hmm. And they would do that. And it, and I would hand them a chart. I, I, I wouldn't let anybody uh, come in and just ask for information without an ancestry chart. I made them go through the answer, and, and people tell me now. So that's the lady who made me <laughs> sit down and do my ancestor child and take those pieces of paper that I had and throw them away, because <laughs> there were people <laughs> coming with pieces of paper. But then, too, at the same time, I realized that I needed to do be studying. I needed to, to go to school, and I don't mean go to school as because on the job training is good, but it's but I needed some formal training. So mm-hmm. I started going to workshops and archives, sitting in the workshops and different things to learn how to. Uh, recognize where records were located in different different archives and what the the methods were methodology were for even researching and then at the same time I realized that my patrons my black patrons they didn't have a roadmap so I started uh, creating workshops I did several mm-hmm. workshops and I and then archives would let me uh, when I said let me would uh, would encourage me to carry those workshops to different uh, schools and out in the community. I went to schools, I went to societies, I went all over the state of Alabama. But my first, let me back up to my first workshop. I was on the job maybe three months, and Tony Burroughs, I don't know, mm-hmm. he came to the archives, he came to the archives, and he was looking for someone from the, the Alabama archives to tell them, their society, what that we had for uh, records on blacks in um, at the Alabama Department of Archives and History because they have an Alabama group within these societies and and that's the the, the beauty of it that the, the northern states most of the we have a lot of African American societies in these states because a lot of them have come down came down to the Alabama Department of Archives when I work in there but in Alabama we only we, at 1986 we didn't have any not any we got three now barely we got two and barely a third one I would say that's <laughs> that's really strictly interest with emphasis on African American uh, family history there was one gentleman uh, working in the archives at the time black gentleman and if he would go to lunch then anybody black that came in that one person they would wait till he come back from lunch so so, wow. so he could be so they could help us so that's the the, the state of the of the instructions that were there at the F, at the uh, archive so anyway tony asked him to come up and talk about the the records and see i had only been on a job three three months as head of as head of what that time called ready reference that was the genealogy part mm. and then when uh he said no. He wasn't going. <laughs> he said he said his supervisor. I was his supervisor. His supervisor should go. And so I I tried to talk to him. He said no, no. He wasn't going to do it. So anyway, I I said okay. 
at that time, like I said, three months on the job, I knew nothing about what it actually, because they didn't have any finding aids that said African-American or where the stuff was in the archives. So I said, the best, so the best thing I did was I gave up, I had, I carried a slide presentation. I gathered up a number of slides of materials that had African-American information in them, such as governmental records, uh, vital records, county microfilm, and fish. You remember the fish? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all census records, population, agriculture, uh, social, and anything that I thought, you know, church records that didn't say blacks, but the, the, they, they would have something in it. Uh, in there, in 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 the record, and I put that in a slide, and, and, and it was so funny. And I almost stopped this this story too. It was so funny when I got to Chicago. They uh, they put me up in a nice hotel too. Ooh, that was lovely. <laughs> that was the first one where I went. But anyway, I was, I'm sitting there, and I'm at this reception with Tony, and I forget to let another lady. But anyway, they are there, and they are just looking at me. And they say, "Oh, uh, and what you gonna talk about?" Uh, uh, I said, "I'm gonna tell you that tomorrow." <laughs> Every time they asked me a question, I was going to tell them, I was going to, and, and, and I did tell them that, but I didn't realize I told them until the next day, because I knew nothing. And I'm just, you know, I knew nothing. And that's when that, that was another wake up call as an instructor, as, as a person that's helping people, you got to know what you're talking about. And the basic number of, of things that I need to know what I was talking about, not that I need to do their family history. I wasn't going to do that. I told them when they, when they, when they asked me, I said, I'm not going to do your family. You're going to do it yourself, but you need to know where to send them. Mm-hmm. Know what records they need at the time, and that—that's where that the beginning interview came. I agree with you on that. From an educational perspective, it's important to to have that. I like the story of I'm going to tell you tomorrow, but that you actually <laughs> went through the process of gathering, at least coming with the data of what the records, mm-hmm. right, where black mm-hmm. folks were listed or or mm-hmm. categorized or whatever, um, mm-hmm. in Alabama and at the archives. Uh, I want to take a step back, though, because what's interesting to me is that you served as a Peace Corps volunteer and administrator mm-hmm. in the Fiji Islands, and you traveled mm-hmm. the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. I just really want to know, how was that experience for you? Okay, it was the best educational experience that I've had in my life so far. You know, my oh, life's wow. not over yet. <laughs> okay. And, and it, was a, it was a way in which I observed different cultures mm. and how people can live without electricity, without water, without a car, without television, city water, and that's just the name of a few, and still enjoy life. And, and also the fact that they, let me tell you what they thought about me in Fiji, thought I was a Fijian that was born in, in, in the States, and, they came, and I couldn't speak Fijian. <laughs> So that's what they look at me because I look like I look like the Fijians at the time, not gray hair. But uh, other than that, uh, that's you know, and and as far as uh, a Peace Corps volunteer, yes, for for six years or so. But I was also worked in the headquarters in D.C. Well, oh, at okay. the Peace Corps headquarters. That's the administrative part. But I worked in Fiji. I worked in as as a, as a secretary in the uh, in the Peace Corps office. So I got to be involved with all of it because I was a financial. Could add, but I was But <laughs> <laughs> I was in charge of the money. It's hard to add pounds. Because <laughs> the money was in pounds. But anyway, I, I did all right for two years. Oh, that's great. So with that experience and understanding different cultures and how they can live without what we consider our basic necessities mm-hmm. right here in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, you know, did that have an impact 
on your genealogy research or the way in which you approached it, um, having seen that experience? No. No at all? <laughs> no, no, it did not. But what it did, it, 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 but it really taught me to look at my surroundings mm-hmm. and in genealogy and in different uh, in a different manner. That's what we do with, with, with our records, the records we find. We look at the surrounding records. Yes. Uh, what record is next to another record, is record? But no, actually, to be honest, no, I... In fact, like I said, I didn't get into to, to family history. I got back to the States. Okay, got it. So that was afterwards. Okay. Oh, that was way after. Way, yeah, okay, got it, got it. Okay, okay. Well, at least it did have, it, you said it was the best educational experience to date mm-hmm. in your life, so that's fantastic. But I want to talk about your work today because you're the assistant okay. archivist at Alabama State University. What does that job entail? Okay. Well, how I got to Alabama State, I was working part-time at Alabama State when I was uh, at the Department of Archives and History. So I was, I was, I was already working in the, uh, in the process in the archive. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I was recruited because the librarian, the head librarian, she said that she wanted somebody in the archives that had been in the archives. <laughs> But that that's all changed now. You know, you got a lot of things that have happened between 1980, 2000 and something now. Uh, so after I retired, I started, I was, actually, I was thinking about uh, retiring from both jobs. And when I mean re- retiring from one job and quitting the other one, because it was, I was working at night mm, <laughs> okay. at Alabama State. And I got, oh, I got so tired. And I was driving 25 miles from Montgomery to Wetumpka, where I where I'm born and where I was born and where I live, mm. and then after I retired, I bought a home in in, in Montgomery, and now I'm in Montgomery. Well, that was like backwards <laughs> after 25 <laughs> years driving back. But anyway, so I said, okay, I'm gonna stay. I stay. I, I got the. I don't have the stress of the the reference job mm-hmm. being head of reference. I was co-head of reference then because. In, in between all those years, we built that metal new building, and they combined the ready reference and the and the historical reference. But they had two heads, so they couldn't get rid of one of us, and we put one of us on another one. So they made co heads. It. <laughs> it just you know, you <laughs> come up with a compromise. Because, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so I uh, start work. Uh, I'm working in the process. I want some downtime, mm-hmm. downtime with the beer with the public. So the downtime became processing collections for Alabama State. Alabama State's archives has a tremendous amount of records and collections of their alumni and of civil rights uh, individuals. Like, um, for example, we have some of uh, a small amount of records from Martin Luther King Jr., a secretary, uh, Ms. Ballou. So anyway, so it, it has a lot and a lot of uh, records dealing with people who were in the civil rights movement that and, and and the alumni records and you know so that's what I'm, it's downtime mm-hmm. i'm not in the in the public but i'm in a in an office <laughs> and i only work 13 hours a week okay okay so it's part time so part time and then okay. i still i still i'm still doing workshops i'm still conducting workshops uh in fact i have to do one tomorrow for the um tuskegee egg extension program air property you know, like when the farmers and and they leave yeah. their their air property. Well, in instead of hiring a, a lawyer to do the genealogy part of it, I'll be doing hands on because I do. Although I do it Zoom, I still would do it hands on because I I'm 
now my whole workshop uh, instructional period has changed. Mm-hmm. It was a twist. The twist is that people can, you can send people to family search. Okay, go mm-hmm. to family search and check. But they don't know how to navigate once they get there. Mm-hmm. If they don't know that beyond the index, there are a lot of more records beyond just what they show in the index, they miss a whole lot. They miss the old. So that's what I, I do now is, is to help people to navigate these, not only the family search, but other archives, sites, ancestry, just whatever I need to, uh, fate, um, social media, mm-hmm. a lot of things on social media that people, you know, can, can get to. And then I started, I tried to meet them where they are, especially some people come into genealogy, DNA. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, they got the DNA, they want to know what's happening. Some come in, you know, because they they got the assignment and some come in because, you know, this is, so you try to meet them where they are. And I don't, do as much as stop with yourself and work backwards and here's an ancestor trying to get rid of the papers. <laughs> from that. But mm-hmm. I want to ask you a question though, because you bring up a good point around your workshop on air property. So what mm-hmm. exactly is that? I know what it is. The listeners may not know, but can you kind of give a definition of that and why it's important to, to attend your workshop or why you're offering that workshop? One of the reasons um, that happens is that I think one of the first an awakening is that when Katrina happened, mm-hmm. all of the the property was destroyed. Well, FEMA was able to come in and and help people to restore their property. But if they didn't own it, they couldn't. You get you had to own it, and so it be it, and it, and and then when they start looking at it, air property belongs to the heirs of the people who actually own it, and those are the descendants of the owners. So you got to look, they had to find those descendants to seek to get back to really who owned the property. And they found that several people owned the property. There is a way, but there's a, another workshop that other people do with the air property where you can, you can get back to the, the owners directly or who all own the property. And they can get together and form a corporation or if they want to sell it or whatever, they can be able to either hold on to it or make it in some way. But it has to be legally done connecting the dots to the families back to and people and people can learn to do that themselves right right Uh, i appreciate you explaining that you're very very involved in alabama as as we've discussed previously but even now you're part of the black heritage council board Mm. of the Mm. alabama historical commission so what Mm. exactly is the alabama historical commission as compared to kind of the archives to tell you the, the, the formal definition after I tell you my definition. Okay. <laughs> the, the Alabama Historical Commission is preserve, protect, and interpret the built environment. Okay. Okay. The archives, the Alabama Department of Archives and History, protect, preserve, and the written environment, the written papers. But the two can be married together because you have people living in the built environment. You have homes and buildings and so forth. And you need to know who they are. And mm-hmm. the Alabama Department of Archives History help you research the family side of it. Their personal stories, who they are, who lived in these houses, and how they got the houses. And, and the historical mission help you preserve that house to keep it so it's there for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, that's my definition. Now, let me tell you the, the corporate definition. <laughs> okay. The Alabama Historical Commission 
is the state agency charged with safeguarding Alabama historic buildings and sites. It was created by Act of the State Legislature in 1966. It consists of 21 appointed members who represent a board cross section of Alabamians. Now, in 1984, Mm -hmm. The Alabama Historical Commission created the Black Heritage Council to advocate for and advise the Commission on the Preservation of African-American Historic Places in Alabama. Mm -hmm. Now, they just didn't come out of the good of their heart to do this. They were pushed. (laughs) They were pushed because they were neglecting neglecting the preservation and interpretation of African-American places and sites because you didn't have that old traditional building sitting there mm-hmm. okay you got you got a like you may have a home or you may have a building but it wasn't up to the the, the greek style or all those styles that we talk about mm-hmm. in architect okay but it, it had vernacular architect you know it mm-hmm. had you know it had reasons for being we didn't have uh uh people coming into our community building Buildings and buildings, we had to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when you see a house that was sitting in the, in in out in the area, and it had a room here, added on, and a room in the back, added on a room. It was built by you know because of what they had, and sometimes right. the the material looked different than each because well they could get the material. But anyway, you didn't have architect, you didn't have people building in our communities a lot. So we said you know you we'll never have a we'll never have a registered a historic house or historic building if we got to go by the traditional and see that the, the National Trust has been gradually changing its uh, criteria to fit what is actually there, you know, and history, you know, some things happen in old houses and stuff that uh, you know, people came out of those houses that did historical things. History starts in the community, in, in local. They they created this, this organization in 1984. The at the time of its founding, the Black Heritage Council was the first African American advisory council of a state historic preservation office created in the country. All of the states had these uh, commissions, historic commissions. In fact, the first member of the Black Heritage Council, including the chair emeritus and founding Loretta Wimberly, assisted other states was setting up similar advisory councils. So you, you have them now, but it's because of this one happening uh, in Alabama. Now, the primary purpose of the Black Heritage Council is to advocate for the preservation of African-American historic places, as I said, in Alabama. And it's the only statewide here, statewide in Alabama, whose sole mission is preservation of African-American historic places. The Black Heritage Council includes 21 by all volunteer board. All We all volunteers. Well, that's great. It's interesting that you said that was 1984 and that it was the first in the country is shocking to me. But I am glad that you guys pushed for that and then helped other states add these type of Black Heritage Councils or whatever the the term. Whatever that could be, right. They differ names by states, but but it's the sole same concept. Yeah, the same concept. So with that, though, I want to get into your, you're really involved in genealogy societies and a number of them. So why do you think it's important to be involved in genealogy societies? Well, each society is different and the members have treasure troves of information that might be pertinent to your research, people research. And it's helpful to know other researchers because sometimes they can help you through brick walls. 
you need support. Y'all need, and, 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 you know, you've asked questions, you've asked me questions of a, of a particular something you needed looked up in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, because you know me, yes. <laughs> so the, you know, we couldn't, you can ask me and that's the same thing with other uh, societies and some of these societies, you can join them at $10 or so. I'm a member of the Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society. In fact, I'm a lifetime member of that. And I'm also a member of the um, Black Belt African-American Genealogical Historical Society. What is the Black Belt African-American Genealogical and Historical Society? Okay, it is a non-profit organization dedicated to study and exchange of information and ideas among people interested in African-American genealogy, family history, and historic preservation in 12 counties of Alabama. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting to have a organization that was just, and I know there are others around the country, but that was just Mm -hmm. focused primarily on these 12 counties known as the Black Belt, and then being able to provide records. Like you just said, the 1866 Black black households in the county, Mm -hmm. that helps someone, you know, get beyond 1870 right. if they had ancestors mm-hmm. in that county. So it's definitely mm-hmm. useful. It's a regional genealogical society, but right. I do like that they also have marriage records as well. So mm-hmm. we'll make sure that we uh, provide a link to that. Okay. But I want to move on to your book. You're the author of Researching African-American Genealogy in Alabama, a resource guide. So what made you decide to write this book? My publisher at the time was attending a lot of my workshops that I had at the the archives. I would have workshops at the archives too, uh, where people would come on Saturday and come to the workshop. They would pay to come to hear me talk. (laughs) Anyway, he tended a lot of them. And he decided, he said, uh, you need to write a book. And I agreed with him that I need to write something. And I said, well, you know, you know, I was in the D section in English. You know, we had a we had an English teacher when I went to school. We went to Southern Alabama down in Bruton, Alabama. It's a boarding school. But anyway, the English teacher decided that anyone who could could not write the way she wanted or and, and couldn't diagram a sentence, that was me. <laughs> uh, she she put them in in different sections: A, B, C, and D. Your A students, your A row, and you know they were good. And you know when they, when they get to the D row, that's the ones that, that was needed help, a whole lot of help. So I said, you you really didn't realize that I was in the D section of, of English, and I said I could not digrade a sentence if you, if if my life depended on it. So he said, you just write, we'll do that. <laughs> you just write, write it, and that's what our editors do. So that's what happened, and uh, you know it took me a year to do the, do the book. It took me a, a, a year, and I um, uh, and I'm glad I did it because I I didn't realize how helpful it has been to people until people come up and tell me. At the time, you know, at the time we didn't have what we have now. We didn't have the burst of uh, databases and places and archives who were putting documents online. I go to courthouses and things would are now putting their probate offices. What I'm trying to get at, probate offices would put their are putting their information online for people. So you didn't have that at the time. So people said, I would take this book and go and, and just research what you had. So what I'm going to do to anticipate your next question, what I'm going to do is create an addition. Because there are things I can um, add on, like, for example, I'm going to add a whole section on school censuses, where they can be located in Alabama. Expand the internet 
and the DNA talk about DNA because I don't think I even talked about DNA. And, you know, and it's not a lot I can say, but what I can say is where you can go and where you can find it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that uh, it just, you know, because people are reading my book and they're looking for a second, they may be able to do something. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, I think it's great that I'm glad, yes, that is that was my next question or one of my next questions. So I'm glad you answered that. Because having a second edition or updating edition based on all the changes, because we've seen mm-hmm. so many changes in genealogy. Yes, we have. But one big project that you've worked on in the past few years, which I've seen and been to the website a lot, is Beyond Kin Project. Mm-hmm. So for the audience, what is Beyond Kin? How did it start? Kind of what does that really mean? Donna Cox Baker. Donna and I had been friends years and years. And Donna had, um, one night she was working on her family history. And not only working on her family history, but she was uh, getting a, a workshop together so that she and her cohort, or co-person worker, would be able to uh, present it. Mm-hmm. And she had blacks in the audience when they presented this. And she was there, and her coworker was had to put up a document, and I think it was like maybe a deed of sale or, a, anyway, she put it in. But then she Donna got to thinking, so how is she gonna, how is the um, blacks in the in the um, artist gonna really? They'll have a hard time trying to find that information because it's you know kind of hard for her. But then in the meantime, she th- thought nothing really about it. So in the meantime, she went and uh, she was looking at some of her family. Oh, and I know she had talked to me we had we had talk talk about how hard it is for blacks to discover once they get part past eighteen seventy what a difficult time it is to locate beyond that you know uh, back when they be, say the enslaved information so and so she said, well, I'm gonna check on one part of her family she just was checking well she had heard this story the story about her one of her ancestors having a gentleman that went to service with him, mm. to, you know. Went, uh, uh, and, but she knew. She just heard the story. She knew. Never knew his name or anything. And she said, "Fancy, how am I gonna find his what his name is?" So I said, "Well, we can try with the 1850 census, and you can look on back and keep on back and enslave, you know, just slave census and so forth." And that's so you're looking for your ancestors, uh, see if he had any slaves. Mm-hmm. So she said, "Okay." So she looked at the 1850 census, and I, she she called me back right back and said. Crazy, he had 40-some slaves, and they never even talked about it. So we never even talked. They never even, I never knew this. I just heard of this one thing, and that led me to, to research. She said, how am I going to find the names of all these people? I said, you might not, but you might find something about them. I said, now you need to go back and do your research, because you're going to have to look in probate records for your ancestors and different things. And she found several, she found a, a, a bunch of things. There's not another place where we can actually put this information. There's no place where people are actually one place where people are the descendants mm-hmm. of slaveholders. We could, she 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 was a, a, a software creator. Mm. So she she was she was very much she was created before she came to be a, the editor of uh, Alabama Harris. She was you know a book a, a magazine, but she was software developer. So she come up with a way in which she could just create something. And she said, and we're going to call it, we'll call it, uh, she said, how do, you know, we discussed how we would call it. And she said, beyond kin, because it refers to people who have an important connection to each other without being biologically or legally kin. And that mm-hmm. could mean people in in institutions, uh, mm-hmm. prisons or whatever. They, they have a connection, but they're not. 
uh, not actually can. And, and so we decided to create a prototype of how we could uh, document, and it's all on the website. Mm-hmm. Well, after a month, a couple of months or two, answer, uh, Family Search kicked us off. Mm. <laughs> they said that they were creating too many, uh, what is it, stepchildren, unconnected people. Got it. You was not connected to him, and that's why we done, you know, like a, a beyond kin as a as a spouse, or mm-hmm. whether you know, you know how it does. So anyway, and then we start uh, asking Family Search to look at it because we not we wanted somebody to like a, a big organization like to take it up and go further with it. And so far, uh, we have about two thousand and two hundred members engaged in conversation and help each other. So you join the forum, and that's why you have you have people saying, putting putting their documents and saying, "This is my great great grand. This is a bill of sale. Here are the names on it." And then they're asking questions. Well, how can I find this? And I, the forum and Beyond Can has answered their own question. People come jump in there and say, "Well, I do this. This is what I've done." So we as as creators, and which we haven't had that much time with it, somebody have answered the question before we even get to read it. <laughs> Right. So the people help each other, and we find out, and it's mostly the descendants. It's not descendants of slaveholders. It's not, you know. So they and they are having records. They're finding records in their homes, uh, in their research. They have, you know, come up with research that they have done already. And w- one lady told me that she had a whole lot of bill of sales. You know, do with them. Mm-hmm. So they, they, you know, put it on beyond kin. People are just engaged, really engaged into helping each other on these. On this on this uh, farm, and there's nobody being negative either. We haven't had that so far, and we also have uh, connections to other sites. Hmm. Oh, oh, you know, like in Virginia, the Virginia uh, Slave Project or something. I think it has a. If you look on the website, there's connection to other sites, other places, because we, you know, that that's one thing we wanted to do uh, is connect to other other sites. Well, when you talk about the future for Beyond Candy, you want someone to pick it up. What exactly does that mean? Does that mean that you want them to take over the site? Do you want them to look at the software specs that Donna created and create actual software? How how does what does that look like for you? That's what we want is to look at the software that Donna's created and being able to incorporate that that software so that it'll be in not only on um, Ancestry but they can put it on any database. Right. So it's a software development that allows individuals to integrate with Ancestry and Family Search as well. With this project, are you guys focusing on just online trees when we think about, for example, my heritage? Or are you thinking of kind of some of the, you know, desktop or laptop software, yeah. right? Like Roots Magic, yes, Family yes, Maker, uh-huh. all of yes, those. Any, any, any software any database or any and i do i feel like even just with that with the technology you know with the software with the problem we're trying to solve right or you guys are trying to solve and i've been thinking about as well i'm sure others i'm glad you have (laughs) yeah you know even if you have something online right you have the privacy things people don't want to put that information but also it's getting the the challenge of something like this is getting like you said the cooperation of the organizations right because you now have to have relationships or buy-in from all the different the different players in the genealogy software industry. Um, but I, I was very interested in this project, like I said, for my own personal reasons, because it's something that is just 
I just really wanted to get done <laughs> so at some point because it's so useful. But I like that you that you guys that you and Donna have taken the time to actually think about the methodology that you have, um, you know, have this forum where people can help each other out and you've seen success with it. Um, and that's great. I mean, we can talk offline about my thoughts um, as it relates to it, because I do have some, you know, with everything you have going on right now. And, you know, just based on all your experience, even though you're working 13 hours a week, you're working on an update to your book, you know, you have the Beyond Kin Project, you know, what's next for you? Like, Nothing. what's next for you? <laughs> you're not going to do your own research? There's nothing next for you? No, I'm doing, I'm trying to do my research as I go. <laughs> but no, uh, okay. I, no I, I, it's always something. You all, you all, right. it's always something. So, and it's not really a, some, it's not like a, when I was younger or that I got to do this, like I got to write this book, I got to write this paper. Oh, one thing I have done, I don't know what you, I have uh, just in, finished being the president of the Alabama Historical Association. Yes, I did see uh, that. So yes. I, and uh, and I did a uh, I did my address at the end. I'm the only owner. They've been at organization since 1947. First black president. Being the first black president of the Alabama Historical Association. So you've been involved in a historical, or still are kind of involved in historical commission, the Black Heritage Council, the state archives, and the Alabama Historical Association. In the scheme of all the other organizations, how is that different? Like, how is it different than everything else you've been involved in? Basically, I've been involved with it for years, and sitting over there, sitting in many of the conferences and the thing, I might have been the only one or two blacks there. <laughs> so that's the okay. difference. <laughs> but but they are very receptive. In fact, what I did as being president, uh, I developed a uh, create a task force, and mm. I was I was very cognizant not to say. We're looking at the diversity. I was saying we, we want to look at our organization, but I, I created mm-hmm. it so that we could, uh, and it's on on, our, on the website too, the, the task force, to create it so to look at the organization and see why people were not coming back to us, the young, the middle-aged people, and Blacks. So why mm-hmm. see why they weren't joining and why they weren't interested in, in it. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, and, and I'm glad you uh, mentioned being president because I did see that and and creating the task force to kind of take a look at the organization because I think that's an issue that a lot of individuals and organizations have across the country, right? Whether it's a historical society or, you know, association or genealogical society is the ability for individuals to travel to those locations for, you know, whether they have a full-time job, uh, responsibilities with family, you know, money, so it's money, time, and access, and for organizations to offer more virtual options. Yes, that's uh-huh. one of my things that I'm really big on. Would be great, and I and given what we've seen with COVID and with 2020, I feel like there's more. There will be a hybrid model, hopefully moving forward. And if not, that some organizations would consider that because they would see more more attendees, more membership. And all of that, and, um, and and I find that with this this um this venue and with this uh virtual things now, you are more involved when you attend a meeting, uh, attend a Zoom meeting with an organization, and you that you get more involved in, on a on a one time one basis because it seems that you, I don't know, just sitting in a big auditorium with a lot of folks. 
people are more right. engaged in uh, at the Zoom, and and I, I agree. Great. I mean, that's yeah. It's, it's great to be able to do that, and I I agree that the overhead will be much less. And let's hope that while we will, you know, probably have things that are in yes. person mm-hmm. down the road, that the virtual option will still be there, and we all can still continue learning as well. So thank you so much for taking the time today. I really enjoyed our conversation. I learned a lot (laughs) just on how to get involved as well as a lot of things that you've done. And I've learned a lot about Alabama and having ancestors from there. I need to be able to do my research and we'll make sure we have a link to that, to that website as well. Okay. You're welcome. It's good talking with you and, and uh, you have a nice day. Conversations with Kenyatta is produced by Kenyatta D. Berry and Caitlin Owl and features Kenyatta D. Berry. The music for this episode was Good Vibe by Ketza. Follow Kenyatta on Instagram under the handle Kenyatta.Berry, on Facebook at facebook.com slash KenyattaDB, and on Twitter at KenyattaDB. You can also find more information on her book and upcoming events on her website at KenyattaBerry.com.